Welcome to SoupX Radio, a weekly talk show devoted to startup and early stage entrepreneurship, venture investing, and small businesses in general. You can find us in the iTunes store and on SoundCloud by searching for SoupX Radio. That's S-U-P-X Radio. Also, remember to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at the SoupX, and that's at T-H-E-S-U-P-X. I'm your host, Bob Fitz, and our guest today is my friend Kevin Hutchinson, the founder and CEO of MyTasket. Kevin, welcome so much to SoupX Radio. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me. Kevin, you've had a really cool background, and uh, you're a serial entrepreneur, and and not just this is your second gig, but you've done a lot. And I think you have so much to offer the entrepreneurs in the audience. Can you tell us a little bit about my task it, and then I want to talk a little bit about your path, uh, kind of getting there, because there's some interesting pre-story, too. Sure, yeah. My Tasket is a uh, it's a SaaS based uh, platform uh, software. It's a work coordination platform that we've built for the general services uh, industry uh, to help coordinate work. They can coordinate work internally with their technicians. They can coordinate work uh, externally by assigning tasks to subcontractors uh, externally, and they can also use it as a portal, if you will, to coordinate work with their uh, most loyal customers who may assign work to them. So it can be used by plumbers, electricians, mechanics, uh, roofers. Uh, we're really focused. We started out in the marine industry and uh, have expanded into property management, uh, construction, and industrial equipment uh, maintenance. But even in those markets, we're not limited to, to just those markets. Anyone who really is a business that's focused on work task, and that's their core of how they get things done, You know, we're, we're solving that problem of coordinating work uh, for task-oriented businesses. How did this come about? I mean, we'll talk about your background in a little while because you, most of your background is kind of in, you know, digital health or, you know, EHR, EMR kind of stuff. And we'll go back there, as I said. But how did how'd you how did you come up with my task it or did somebody bring the idea to you or how was it born? Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll cover kind of, the, as you said, the background, but it did come from the background. Oh, it did? Uh, health, okay. Yeah, we did a lot of things in healthcare that we'll talk about, but uh, a, a main focus of it was a thing called care coordination to help coordinate care for patients, and uh, lots of things go into that. And as we had some successes with that in healthcare, it occurred to me that there was more coordination of work, which is actually all care coordination is, is coordination of work in healthcare that could be applied to the non-healthcare uh, world. And, and as we all know, the healthcare uh, market is simply a service market, uh, just kind of different actors, if you will, uh, in the market. So it really came from all the learnings that we gathered along the way. And some of the guys that uh, were with me and a couple of the healthcare companies uh, are here with me at my Tasket as well. So let's, we'll keep talking about uh, my Tasket for now. Um, Give an example of like a vertical and how you're using this at the moment and, and some of the possibilities, because I'm sure it'll help people think of other uh, verticals that maybe they want to talk to you about employing it for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, we we started in Marine and I get asked a lot, you know, why Marine? Uh, why was that a great place to start? And when we when we first looked at various different service markets, uh, what I liked about Marine was that it was kind of a microcosm of other markets. Uh, you know, we have electricians, we have plumbers, we have mechanics, uh, we have carpenters, uh, and a number of other kind of skilled uh, labor types of service businesses, but all centered around this this one 
property, this one asset, uh, being a boat, as if you will. But what I really liked about Marine was that it there was a lot of activity uh, that had to occur uh, for that boat monthly. You know, a home, you might have a repair or maintenance on your home occasionally throughout the year. But on a boat, uh, a lot of work has to go into a boat every month, every week, uh, every other month. And a lot of preventative maintenance, in addition to repair, uh, has to be done on the boat. And we really wanted to pick a market that we could test, you know, the coordination of work around repairs as well as the coordination of work around preventative maintenance. Uh, and those are two really different type of workflows. Um, so we've even, you know, as I said, we moved into these other three markets, but We've been approached by even paving companies, as an example, who said, look, I don't really have an asset. I don't have a boat or an RV or a house or something to work around, but I want, I need a task coordination, a work coordination platform that I can assign work to the guys that are doing jobs. And in fact, you can do that. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be tied to an asset uh, like a boat or a car, an RV or anything like that. It can actually just be a a flat work coordination platform for people who are task oriented. So a lot of software is kind of process management oriented. Uh, what makes, uh, you know, work coordination uh, application uh, different? I mean, I, I'm assuming there's just gobs of verticals you could take this to, but what really is kind of the secret sauce for my task at, versus well, uh, versus me hiring like a proprietary software development company and saying, okay, you know, I'm sure you can uh, routinize and, and automate some of the things I'm doing. So why don't I just pay you a big development fee and send in some consultants? You go build me software that automates my business. Absolutely. Yeah, there's certainly there's there's a lot of different uh, types of approaches to solve this problem. Uh, you know, some people that might uh, align with companies like Basecamp and uh, others that are a Slack. Those are coordination platforms if you will as well but they're more those companies as successful as they are they're more focused on uh, coordination of discussions around threads uh, of information uh, and teams communication of those teams uh, around a particular topic and certainly they've done well uh, at that we're really task oriented uh, where we allow communications on the task it really is about taking the task and, and assigning it to who's going to do the work. But we've also identified in that process, in that workflow, if you will, that other people are involved, uh, supervisors who need to monitor the status of that task, customers who are waiting for that work to be done, potentially subcontractors who are also going to be part of working on that task. And so we built a platform to actually do B2B, B2C, uh, and even uh, enterprise as an internal tool uh, to be used. But our kind of our secret sauce is to really focus on the relationships between those entities, um, between a, a field worker and a supervisor, between a subcontractor and a general contractor, and between a customer and a business. Uh, there's some very unique relationships and expectations of information processing or access to certain information or task assignment, if you will, privileges that people may have, a supervisor may have access to certain information that a field worker may not have access to versus a subcontractor versus a client. So it really, you know, the nuance is really in the details, which is around how those relationships individually work. 
And we've really identified two or three ways in which people like to work with their field workers and two or three ways they like to work with subcontractors. And we've built the capabilities in the platform to let them uh, customize, if you will, without having to build custom software, as you mentioned, um, the general ways in which people that are task-oriented like to work. And so is that, I mean, look, I know it's adaptable to, it started off marine, you're going into some new verticals, and presumably there's many more. But is the fundamental picture that uh, it's the the person performing the task has an iPad or something that they're kind of acknowledging X, Y, and Z got done, and and it's fairly simple so that there's less you know room to screw it up. Uh, what's the what's the basic model of the interaction with the tool? Yeah, we, we want the field guys just to use the cell phones they already have, you know, yep. the smartphones. So no special, no special no. iPad required, just you pull no. it up on your smartphone. Yeah, but it's interesting. A lot of our customers did buy iPads for their field workers. They wanted the larger uh, screens and displays. You know, they you can take photos and video and you could, you could attach it to a task, um, as well as Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, PDF, any, any kind of supportive material you want with a task. So they wanted tablets in some cases uh, where they could have more real estate uh, visibility into some of those documents or photos or videos. But most of our guys in the field are just simply using the the phones they already have uh, in place to be able to interact with it. And the supervisors like to use it on a desktop, uh, any browser, you know, Chrome or Edge or, or uh, any one of the, you know, standard browsers are, are supported by the MyTasket platform. Uh, but it's, it's nice because we're not really having to change a lot of infrastructure. They already have Wi-Fi. We just run across their existing Wi-Fi or cellular uh, connection. So there's not a lot of infrastructure uh, need when setting this up. And where's the company based? We're based in West Palm. Uh, so West Palm Beach, Florida, uh, right downtown. So there's a, a lot of activity in South Florida around technology startups. And I moved it. I actually started this company in uh, Washington, D.C. area, actually in Alexandria, Virginia, and uh, where I had done some previous healthcare companies. And I moved it down here to South Florida about four years ago. And it was a great move for us. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of buzz, a lot of activity in South Florida for tech companies. And how many people are with the company now? So we had combined uh, two companies. I bought a company down here uh, previously that, uh, so we were about 60 people then, uh, but we recently entered into a transaction around that company. And so now we have about 30 on the my casket side and about 30 on the, uh, the previous company side as well. And you're spinning that one out? We did, yes. We sold it to a company called Valsoft uh, up in Canada. Um, it was a business management software for Marine called DocMaster um, that was very successful in the industry. It's the largest market share for uh, work order management, parts inventory management. And we integrated uh, my task into that business management system. Are you all co-located, the 30 people that remain? Yeah, we are. But we're definitely, um, we know half of us are, are here in the Florida office and half of us are remote uh, working. You know, we're a big believer in that, uh, especially for startups. You find the best people wherever they may reside. And given today's tools and technologies um, for keeping people coordinated, if you will, you know, you can really do a lot of great remote workforce. We get together about every six weeks all together in Florida, but uh, about half and half remote. 
is that pretty much the development staff is distributed and the business staff is co-located in Florida, or do you have a different model? No, yeah, it's interesting. We're we're it, it's not limited to any one particular department. We have uh, my CFOs in New York, uh, as an example. Uh, my marketing is down here uh, in Florida, but my operations guy's in Florida, but he's not here in West Palm. He's in North Florida, so he's down here two or three days a week. Uh, but yeah, the development team, half of it is here and half of it is distributed. Uh, QA, quality assurance and testing is here uh, in this office. Our support desk is here uh, in the Florida office. So our onboarding and training and staff is here as well uh, in this office. But it's, you know, we, some of our executive leaders are, are remote and some of our uh, uh, product uh, guys are remote. In fact, my product owner is still in Washington, D.C., where he and I did a previous company together. And, and he comes down here about every six weeks. And sales and marketing is there with you or? Uh, distributed marketing's here, uh, but I've got a couple of uh, guys, VPs over business development, uh, broken down by the markets that we're attacking, and uh, ones in the Midwest and, and ones here in Florida, uh, and then we've got some uh, other you know, younger, more junior uh, salespeople that are spread. Our inside sales team is here uh, that does a lot of the uh, sales by phone, if you will. So it's kind of a, uh, you know, the, the world is virtual now, and you're a great example of that. But the reasons I asked the questions I did is the model's usually a little different. You know, yes, d- development's distributed, and you can have salespeople elsewhere, but the core management team is all in one office. It's very unusual for you to have a CFO in one city and some others. I'm assuming it's the obvious reason is is that those those talent levels and skills were so important that you'd work around the the fact that there wasn't a uh, you know day to day face to face interaction. Yeah, and we've uh, like my CFO. He and I have done a company together before. We know each other very well. Uh, but I like him in the New York market. Uh, there's obviously a high penetration of finance uh, and as an industry up in, in New York and in the Northeast. So uh, I, I don't mind that. And, and he works well. He has a controller uh, as well. Uh, so he stays connected enough uh, with the office and with our um, you know projects and planning that goes on. He's also head of strategic planning. And, you know, the COO, the fact is, even if he was here, uh, he his team is half here and half remote. So he he actually when he comes down he visits with the team that's your local but he actually works uh, they all work very well on, on using remote tools and remote coordination. So for uh, an entrepreneur that's listening and trying to figure out how to pull together his team and wants to take advantage of the virtual world, it sounds like trust is something that uh, was a function on how you constructed your model, trust and prior experience. Uh, Obviously, you know, the need just to acquire talent where it may be. What are some other suggestions you'd give to someone as they think through that model? Well, certainly communication. Uh, uh, that is absolutely key when you have this kind of a structure and model. And how are you going to stay, you know, in tune? We actually have implemented, obviously, technology tools to do so, like tools like Office 365, and we use their Teams product. Uh, as well as SharePoint and, you know, obviously Outlook and all the normal things that go with Office. But those platforms have done a great job of really enabling the ability to improve communication. 
even if these guys were here, I'm on the road a lot, uh, visiting with customers and uh, potential distributors and alliances and partnerships. And so even if they were here, I'm not here a lot. I'm on the road a lot. So it's important that we have these kinds of tools, but it's also putting in the processes, you know, what are going to be your standing meetings and how do you keep people out of meetings where you optimize, you know, the amount of meetings you have to stay enough uh, engaged with each other, but also leaving plenty of time during the day to get your, your real job done. Certainly having people in meetings all day is not your, your goal. And we're really finding these tools are a great way to do it. We'll come back to, um, We'll come back to my task at, again. Um, let's go back earlier in your career. As I said, uh, when we we first got on the call, that you know you've had a long run or had a long run in kind of the digital health, EHR, EMR space. Uh, can you talk a little bit about those steps along the way? And then you've already said that my task it was an outgrowth of that uh, care management, but uh, you've you've had some interesting runs. Yeah, I'm a. Uh... I'm probably uh, unique in some regards because I started my career in the corporate world. Uh, so I was at IBM for 10 years, and then I did uh, some business development work in San Francisco with uh, Larry Ellison and Ray Lane in uh, the Oracle uh, world. Uh, and then I got the fever for startups. I just Some of the stuff I did at Oracle was really looking at smaller companies and um, what their impact they're having on on their own individual markets. And I just really got the urge to do some of my own. I was not a patient person at IBM. Every manager ever had, you know, the one thing I got dinged for every year was, you know, you need to show a little more patience. Just hasn't been my thing. Because I, I, decisions, I love IBM. I still bleed blue. They, they certainly invest a lot of me from a management standpoint and training and sales and all that. But they, uh, you know, to get things going at the speed in which I like to move, it just, it was, it was like a, uh, going through quicksand sometimes, uh, to get some decisions made. So I made the leap and jumped into the world of startups. First, looking at companies to do investments in through an organization called VHA out of Dallas, where we invested about 150 million into a, uh, several different healthcare startup companies. And one of those companies was actually one of the very earliest electronic medical record software companies called Medicalogic and had just acquired Medscape and gone public. And we ended up uh, actually jumping in to that. Uh, I became the COO of that EMR and uh, portal company. Uh, We ended up selling Medicalogic to GE and then selling Medscape to WebMD. And that launched us kind of into our next phase of our career, which uh, I learned a lot about EMRs, but they were all in a disconnected state. And we started a company called SureScript, and I was a founding CEO of that company. And uh, we connected all of the nation's pharmacies with all of the nation's doctors and enabled electronic prescriptions to go electronic. Uh, So if you've gone to the doctor and they no longer write a script and hand it to you, they just send it through the computer that goes across our network. And we processed about 11 billion transactions last year. And 99.5% of all pharmacies in the U.S. are on that network. And along that way, I I was asked by President Bush and then uh, by President Obama to do some advisory work for the government on the build out of the National Health Information Network. And it was really there that I got deep into the care coordination. 
and looking at the ways in which we could improve how we coordinate care for patients, whether that be pharmacies involvement, labs, hospitals, insurance companies, physicians. And if you think about the patient as being the asset, you have all these other entities that have to work around that asset being the patient, needs for information and transaction of business. And as what evolved into my task, it, we, we recognize the opportunity to look at other type of assets like houses and RVs and boats and, and industrial equipment and other things like that. And how do people coordinate work uh, around the repair and maintenance of those things the way we do repair and maintenance of our own bodies with uh, patients. And that's how we landed here with my casket. Well, you're hanging out with some a highfalutin crowd there, uh, Kevin. Uh, uh, Larry Ellison, President Bush, President Obama. Uh, those are good elbows to rub. Yeah, yeah, and certainly there's a lot to learn along the way. Uh, you know, I, I tell my team every day, there's not a day goes by. I don't continue to learn something from someone that I'm engaged with. And I, I've been really blessed with... Uh, having uh, access to and, and work with some really amazing uh, technology leaders. Well, there are a lot of digital health kind of superstars here in South Florida. I mean, obviously, uh, the healthcare industry is a huge percentage of our economy here. Uh, obviously, you learn some, you know, process management, which is, you know, and, and the need for better workforce coordination is the genesis for my task at, um, any other uh, interesting lessons from the vertical itself that have been uh, helped you as, as an entrepreneur as compared to perhaps other you know verticals that maybe you could have gotten your start in? Yeah, well, for sure, uh, change is hard, uh, whether it's in healthcare and you're changing the way that doctors interact with their nurses or the way that doctors interact with pharmacies. Uh, it's just as hard in the general services world where you're changing the way a supervisor interacts with a field worker or how a business interacts with a subcontractor or even with their own customers online. And boy, one of the uh, some of those lessons that we learned in the early days uh, of healthcare has certainly helped us tremendously uh, in getting my task at launched uh, and applying how do we how do we transition people from these heavy paper-based processes? Uh, you know, in the healthcare world, it was all about the paper chart. Uh, in the general services world, it's all about paper work orders and paper purchase orders. And how do we get them off of those paper-based uh, workflows and move them into kind of the uh, electronic world? And, you know, I always tell uh, people, there's three things. If you're going to do this, there's three things you've got to focus on. And it's, it's people, it's process and it's product. And you have to have all three, uh, in focusing on, you know, the people, uh, and what are the resources you need internally, but also what are the challenges you're going to run up against with the customers, the people themselves? You know, we, we ran into some issues with, elderly physicians who simply were not going to change, did not want to change, did not want to adopt an EMR, electronic medical record uh, product. And we run into the same uh, kind of challenges even in the general services world where there's just at a certain age, people are uh, less adapt to want to change. But I will tell you what I have seen is some of our older users, actually, once they do make that leap, they become some of our biggest advocates uh, because of how easy we've made their lives uh, versus some of the younger guys, which are great to have them as well, but they're they're always thinking, you know, they're looking for 
another way or another thing that we could be doing. And, you know, they, they challenge us to get better, you know, as a company. But, you know, the process uh, or the handoffs that have to happen uh, between when you sell the product, uh, when you've got to onboard them, how do you onboard them, how do you support them? So, you know, people, product and, and process are really the three key things that you've got to make sure you have right as a company if you're really going to drive users to change their habits and adopt your product. And for whatever reason, I keep choosing companies that are the hardest in the world to get to adopt because I'm changing behaviors. Well, I would assume that the late adopters, uh, while it's hard to change their behavior, that once they do, uh, they're rather sticky because um, you've opened a new world to them. It takes them a while to, to, to make the leap, but uh, I'm sure it has to be eye-opening and welcoming and then... And, 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 and easier for them to spread. Uh, it's, it's, it really is. Some of my most favorite trips are to go out visit some of our customers and, and actually have, you know, we, they certainly have their suggestions of how to continue to make the product even better. But to have them look at me and say, you've made my life so much easier um, and uh, easier to work, uh, but also less headaches and less chaos. It's a common phrase we hear, you reduced our chaos. Um, it, it, it's great. It's great to see them be able to do it. Um, and, and you know, what's interesting is at, after they go through the change, they tell us, you know, we really are doing things the same way. We're just doing them more efficiently because they're still getting their task. They're still entering their labor hours. They're still entering in their notes of what they diagnosed and how they resolved the problem, whether they're working on a boat or whether they're working on anything else so that there's explanation as to what work was done. But they're just doing it in a more efficient way, using what they already had in their pocket in the first place, which is their smartphone. So you said people, product, and process, and I know you well enough to know that uh, you know you're an insightful uh, assessor of people. Let's talk about people. Uh, when you're putting together your, a team, what is it you look for? It sounds to me like you have the good fortune of having experience with a number of people who you bring along to new ventures and uh, presumably by this point they're more senior but and so that's based on trust and experience and understanding skill sets etc um on that topic real quick how do you make sure that the same team doesn't keep making the same mistakes and just keeps having the same culture and becomes myopic well boy that is the question right i mean that is that, that's the downside I, of the familiarity part right yeah that's right yeah, as much as I like to tell you that, you know, once we've learned the lesson in previous companies, we don't make the same mistake. We do. And, you know, I, I like to reference these companies. This is my fourth uh, startup. And I like to reference them as children, uh, as many people do, entrepreneurs do. And what's really interesting about children and what's really interesting about each individual company we've done they have their each individual personalities and they go through different growth pains at different stages. Some mature quickly, some don't mature as quickly. Um, you can certainly as an experienced parent, you can certainly see it coming and you can avoid a lot of the uh, smaller things and even some of the larger things. But just like raising any child, you're going to go through the same steps over and over again, uh, no matter how many children you may have, uh, you're going to go through some of the same challenges as you did with the previous child. 
But uh, that said, it certainly helps a lot. Uh, first time parents, as we've many of us have been, um, you know, we, we didn't know what we were doing. There certainly are a lot of books written about it and we read those books, but we're not really sure what we're doing. Second child, starting to figure it out. By the time you get the third child, you feel like you're pretty much an expert at this, but then the surprises happen. So, so I'm sorry, Kevin, please continue. No, so I was just saying it's 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 certainly something that uh, that we we track uh, and we watch, but getting the right people early in the company, uh, the right parents, if you will, is certainly uh, uh, improves your chance of success. So that kind of explains a little bit about you know how you've brought your core team kind of keeps going along with you, but you know, and I ask this to just about every guest we have on the show because it's, I think the most important topic. And that is, you know, how, how do you go about, you know, assessing, you know, acquiring and assessing talent? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is, uh, I had a, a reflection recently on this very topic that I didn't really fully appreciate, but I actually kind of follow what IBM taught me, uh, in my early days as a manager I didn't realize, but IBM doesn't really hire, uh, you know, for sales as an example. You, you would think they'd go get, you know, kind of the right personality or the technology you know, who graduated with, you know, uh, uh, top of the class. IBM actually has a profile that they look for, and it's not always technology related. They, they looked for people who think logically. And so it was amazing how many accounting uh, majors were hired by IBM uh, to become technology salespeople. Uh, because they liked how accountants think in a logical fashion, and they knew that they could train you uh, through sales, how to sell, if you have the right personality, if you have the right uh, capacity to do that. And when I hire people, I actually follow a very similar approach. I, I don't necessarily look at the paper on the resume and say, wow, you don't have any experience in the following position. I, I look at the person, and I look at, are they hungry? You know, do they want to join an initiative? You know, are they just looking for a job? If they're just looking for a job, generally we pass on them when we, we move on down the road. But if they're looking for something to be a part of, if they're looking for something to, you know, an initiative to join and grow, that that's number one on my list. Like, are you just applying for a job or are you really, you know, so I've had recently a guy come in that was looking for um you know, tr trying to fill one of the positions that we were hiring for. And what was amazing to me was that he didn't really know much about our company at all uh, during the interview. And that's right there, just red flag, just moving, moving on down. Because why would you, why would you show up for an interview and you don't even really know much about the company? It means you're just looking for a job. And that's certainly not what I look for when, uh, when pulling team, the early team together, especially. I mean, they set the stage. One thing I tell other entrepreneurs that are, are listening to this is those first 10, 20, 30 people you hire, they set the stage for the next 60, 90, 100 people that you're going to hire. Um, because once you have that culture, once they join and come into the fold, if you don't have that established really well with those first 20 or 30 that you have, you're going to have a bigger problem uh, a year or two years down the road when you're ready to, to double your team and you haven't established that culture. And how, how do you uh, uh, recruit for cultural fit? Do, does, do all your, I mean, at some point you can't do this, I understand this, but you know, you're only 30 people and presumably 
there's a smaller percentage of that that's senior managers. Do all your senior managers get involved in all hires? I mean, how, how do you, what are some ta- or techniques that you use to make sure that you're hiring for cultural fit and that you're perpetuating the culture that you want? Yeah, we, uh, we create a team. Um, we establish a position, post a position, the hiring manager takes the, the role and actually the job description and the normal things that you would go about. But then we do a cross-function. Uh, we put together a group of people that, uh, some that have nothing to do with the job that's being interviewed for, uh, but they'll have interactions uh, with this individual uh, or could have interactions in their day-to-day uh, job. And we want them to know that when they come on board, this person that you're going to be interacting with, this peer of yours, is actually partially responsible for you getting the job. Uh, so we we have this first round of interviews. Uh, the hiring manager gets through all the you know the paper, if you will, and narrows them down to the ones that we want to do phone interviews with. And then this group will then do the phone interviews of the first round, and then they narrow it down to you know the top three to five that they feel. Uh, are now warranted to be uh, interviewed. I interview, as you said, I can't do this forever, but I interview the final interview. Uh, and then we still, pull the group. At 30 still. people, still, every employee. Yes, every employee. Okay. And then uh, we pull the, the group that was put together for that particular job, and each job is a different group that gets put together. And we vote, and I'm one vote. Uh, we, we go around the room, it's usually three to five people, and we go around the room and we ask, you know, what's the pros, what's the cons? Uh, and then we, when we get to the cons, we talk about, is it something that you think can be taught? Is it something you think they can get over? And, uh, you know, if there's an, a strong objection to this hire, uh, we move on. And, you know, we kind of have some unwritten rules. You don't meet beforehand. You don't uh, lobby, you know, with each other before the call to where we're going to make the decision on who the candidate's going to be. And uh, we just have an open discussion about it. And as I say, I'm, I'm one vote in that group. And I always go last because I don't want to influence uh, the group uh, in my early opinions. And it works. Uh, we usually, sometimes it does slow the hiring process down. I'm, I'm going to tell you, it, it, I'd be lying to you if I said it didn't, but you do get better hires. And uh, in the early days, there's nothing more important. Do you use, it sounds like a very intuitive, uh, common sense approach. Do you use any other uh, quantitative techniques, psychological like testings? There's, you know, the predictive index is very popular right now. You know, pick these words, pick those words, and it's actually scarily accurate, I've decided. Um, <laughs> which is hard to believe given how simple yeah. it is. It's really, I say, <laughs> most people would like to argue with it. I say, no, it's sadly well over 90% accurate. Um, but wow. do, or, or do you use, do you use any of those tools or do for a programmer? Do you say, look, we're going to, uh, we'd like you to work on a problem with our team for two or three days. I mean, do you use anything else out of the box or is it very conversational and very, yours sounds like a very intuitive feel approach. Yeah, on the on the business side, I'd say it's more intuitive. Uh, it's more um, uh, gut feel, uh, relationship type uh, mm-hmm. of feeling about the person. Uh, on the product side, actually, we do do testing. Uh, and in fact, there's some great tools out there. I don't remember the names that they use now, but I know the technology leader guys, they use the where they, they go in and they're given a problem uh, to solve 
by programming. Uh, and they have a, it measures not only how long uh, did it take them to solve the problem uh, through development, but also uh, how well was the problem resolved? You know, is it efficient? Is it not efficient? There's some great tools for that. And then it, it spits out a score. You know, if you're in the 80s or the 70s or the 90s, uh, you know, it, it sells a very different issue. And we try to pick problems that are relevant to our type of product um, for them to solve. Uh, so it, that has proven to, to be very, very effective uh, for us on the development side, uh, on the product side of testing. Now, I, I've gone through a few of those personalysis test over the years, uh, Myers-Briggs and personalysis and, and others. And uh, I was I was a big non-believer in those things when I first started having to, to do them. But wow, do they nail you? I mean, just hook, line and sinker, they, they lay out, you know, what motivates you or how you like to interact with other people. But what I found most useful of these kinds of tools, and we don't do this during the hiring process, um, but as we get bigger, this is when we start instituting some of the personalysis training. I love how it teaches you how to interact with other people of different personalities. And I'm a big believer in that you've got to have a very balanced uh, set of people. You need your analytical thinkers. Uh, you need your dreamers. Uh, you know, you need those different those different mindsets, and they work differently. I, I will openly admit. I'm a, a red, yellow uh, kind of person, uh, if you go on the personalysis uh, color diagram. So red being heavily driven, and most salespeople are in the red. Uh, most accountants and analytical thinkers are in blue and green. I don't interact well with the blue and the green because I want to get to the decision as quick as possible. But I have an appreciation for the value that those personalities bring to the equation and you have to respect that because if if all decisions were made by red people, you would make a lot of mistakes along the way. If all decisions were made by blue, uh, green type personalities, you may never make a decision uh, because there's always new data that needs to be uh, analyzed or thought through. But if you get a well-rounded team that is a combination of reds and yellows, yellows are the social uh, people, the reds, the yellows, the greens, the blues, and you teach them how to interact with each other. Uh, for instance, when you walk up to a red person, uh, you don't start out explaining something and then getting to the end of the story. With a red person, you start telling the end of the story first and say, what I'm going to ask you to do is I need to know, bomb, bomb, bomb. Then you say, so now let me tell you additional information. Because you have to put the person, their their whole mindset when they're red is, why are you here? Why are you here? Why are you here? Why do you need me? <laughs> right? They want to move on to whatever they're moving on to. The blue-greens want to tell a story. They want to start from point A and get to Z. Reds want you to start with Z and then take me all the way back to A. So once people have an appreciation for that, uh, it's amazing to see how well the teams appreciate alternative views and other opinions and man do you come up with better decisions and uh more accurate decisions the first time around by ensuring that that is taking place so it sounds like that as you scale and you're now to the point that you are you know scaling rapidly with 30 people those are some more uh 
emerging growth type practices that you'll start employing to perpetuate the culture that you've tried to hire for when you've you know hired your early pillars of the company yeah yeah absolutely i mean uh, one of the things that you know i look for in the early hires too is the is the can you handle uh, the culture of a startup you know the environment of a startup and and many people have different views of, of what it's like uh, to join a startup um, but it it's usually different than what they think well let's talk a little bit about that because i've been in fortune 100 companies and i've been in startups and i see the the streaks and weaknesses of the different cultures so you know the hours for a startup are pretty demanding uh, there's also a gross amount of inefficiency if you ask me um, mm-hmm. at times um, mm-hmm. and so you know the uh, a, uh, a cynical view is that you need foosball tables and stuff like that <laughs> to keep people from jumping out of windows uh, over the pivots the mistakes that are made etc that there's also an energy that is incredible and it's an, it's an awesome feeling to be a creator, even if you're just mm-hmm. a small part of the creation. Talk a little bit about the culture because it's not, you know, it gets glamorized and, you know, it also needs to have some holes poked in it, but it takes a certain type of person to want to do too. Yeah. You know, and I think in my early entrepreneurial spirit, uh, I was all about the, the um, air hockey and foosball and skateboards running through the uh, you know the office and and the animals and dogs and everybody bringing things to the office and all that and and certainly that is good and I'll tell you where I am you know on those subjects now that I've gone through four of these but uh, but you're right it's a balance you have to be careful uh, it is work and what really i don't think it's uh discussed enough with people that have want to join a startup but they've never really been in one before or they've been in one it was a really bad one where there can be a lot of stress and there's not a lot of positive motivation uh in that you certainly have to make it fun you certainly have to make it it's almost like you want to gamify the building of a company and i don't mean gamified in the sense of everybody sitting around just you know Uh, enjoying life and having a good time right right free food for everybody right (laughs) right but reward you know make it fun make it a a fun environment to to work in uh make it a pleasant environment uh both visually as well as uh, making sure that uh stress doesn't send people over the edge and impact other people's uh ability to do their job but but also just let them enjoy that they're achieving something that's but that they appreciate and recognize how hard it is to achieve and uh certainly with you know hollywood and other stuff there's certainly been some glamorization of startups and that they're these kind of you know cool kids and everybody's kicking around and and you certainly want to create environments where people can relax and do their best work that a mind is you know if it's all tight uh it's not thinking right in startups, you do, unlike Fortune 50 or Fortune 100 companies, every decision you make is important uh, and by whoever's making it, whether it's a developer or a QA person or a product manager or a trainer, uh, because you have so few of them, uh, they matter. Uh, every decision matters. 
And so in a larger company, certainly you can make mistakes and there's room for error and you can do certain. You have to create that in a smaller environment to let them know there is room for error, but we need to learn from the errors and don't repeat the same mistake. So how do you do and, those two things, Kevin? Sorry to interrupt, but so you said making it fun. I mean, how do you make it yeah. fun when you know you had you were you know you're at the office till you know eleven thirty on Thursday, and your you know your wife wanted to know why you weren't home with the dinner with the kids, and how do you and, and that happens like three Thursdays in a row? Like, how do you how do you make that intensity of you know it's time to deliver the MVP and it's a you know it's not a hundred yard sprint. This is like a four forty or eight eighty. It's a grueling run you know yeah how do you keep the fun in that environment without it becoming without it becoming a parody you know like we were just discussing i 100 percent agree and i think it goes back to what we were talking about before about the hiring practice because you have to hire people who their fun their definition of fun is winning and achieving uh and certainly mixing uh and communicating the wins we have the discussions we're having the meetings the alliances discussions the possibilities of what's coming around but also sending out you know uh, notifications of what the competition has done what some alliance that just occurred some some buyout that just happened some some competitor who just raised 50 million dollars because it scares the bejesus out of them uh, in a good way, it motivates them. It makes it fun. It's as I said, it's game. Who am I going to beat? You know, I I, I kind of look at. I'm a big uh, basketball fan when it comes to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and I love Russell Westbrook. That guy has fun every time he gets on the court because his fun is destroying his competition, is winning the game. Uh, all the work, all the hard work, all the long hours, all the stuff he has to put in to make his craft the best in the business is work, but it is work so that he can have fun, which is to win. And when you hire people, uh, you really want to hire people who their fun is to win. I think it's what you said is critical because I've said this for years is that, you know, I personally, I, I find winning fun. I find being a part on a, of a team that has talent and has achieved objectives that is a blast. The foosball tables and the and I just use that kind of as a example and and even a parody example, but you get it. That, yeah. that's, I could care less. I mean, I personally could care less about that stuff if it makes somebody else happy and keeps them at the office. What I like is the fact that you know it's seeing those milestones. That is immensely rewarding. And so finding people with a competitive streak is. Uh, it's got to be critical for the for what it sounds like you want in your culture. Yeah, and, and you know I'll tell you about the those kinds of things. What the foosball tables and the air hockey's and things like that. What people love about that, it, re- it it's almost a recognition by what they consider to be management, upper management, whatever, that we recognize how hard you work, and we're we're offering these things up in recognition for how hard you work. But because in many cases those things gather dust. Sometimes they're used, I mean, I think they're used more in Hollywood depictions than they are in real life, but they're, they're not, they're there and they know they're there. And it's, it, it's an, it's a physical sign that, you know, the, the company cares about your mental health. The company cares about how you work. It's not a sweatshop. Uh, but the reality is in many cases, they're not using them. They're, they're heads down. 
But having them there and knowing they're there, it actually does the same effect. You can use it if you want to. I, I worked at a startup on a consulting engagement a couple of years ago that had a pool table. And I thought, okay, whatever. And I, you know, I, I probably didn't see somebody use it three times. Yep. <laughs> so yeah. to, to your, to, to your point. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had, a, I had a business, the Medicology Medscape business. We had uh, 1200 employees uh, across three locations, mainly in New York and, and uh, Portland. And we did have a whole game uh, outfit up in the Portland office. And it was amazing because uh, our highest of highest performers, uh, I rarely saw in that game room. <laughs> the, the, the people that were maybe on the fence, uh, I actually would see in there more than they needed to be in there. <laughs> it, was, it was very interesting. <laughs> so you've talked about some things that you do to recruit talent and you've talked about some traits that to you are important. And then you've talked a little bit about, you know, how you uh, try to perpetuate culture. Um, two other topics I want to talk about. The first one is uh, compensation. Um, you know, how do you, how do you, what's your view on money? And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and I, I the, the question is more complicated than it may sound uh you know winning as you just described and being part of a winning team is a certain mindset uh, how do you use uh, you know monetary rewards and what are their limitations as to you know we just simply what are their limitations yeah well it's a big topic and a, and a tough one that and ever evolving uh seems like every few years we're we're resetting kind of what the market is doing or what expectations would be you know but way back when uh especially early in your career where maybe the base salary is not as critically important but you want as many stock options as possible because you want to you really want to have a strong exit i i think number one i'm i'm a big believer in every employee uh, of a startup should have stock and should have options and so we don't hire anyone, uh, no matter what the role is, no matter what the level is, uh, without uh, passing out options uh, to the person, because everyone needs to share in the success of the company. It just doesn't happen uh, without the people that are putting in the hours on a day-to-day basis. So that's number one, uh, is stock for everyone. Uh, number two is on, on bonuses. Certain positions are have bonuses tied to them. Uh, it's all on the same level. It's company goals, and we we track those goals and we communicate those goals, the status of those goals, uh, on a regular basis. Everybody's marching in the same direction, trying to achieve the same things, and we achieve those goals, and it makes our stock options worth more um, by achieving those goals. I always loved what United Way always did with their uh, display of that. You know, they'd sit around the town and they put the big thermometer there with Mm -hmm. you know how how far up are they and it just did a number of things one it communicates people that you know i I should do this other people are doing this Um, but also sees kind of you know how far are they from their you know from their target a brilliant simple visual tool absolutely and you know we try to use some of that we we meet every six weeks as a team and we go through you know how we're doing as a company against those company goals and they're not, they need to be relevant. Um, I'm not, I'm stating the obvious here, but it's, it, it needs to be relevant to every person in the company. How do I relate? Well, you can put revenue up there. That's pretty easy. Here's revenue. Here's our goal. Here's our target. But people need to know how they relate to that, 
revenue goal. And so then there are other goals that, you know, adoption, which goes to sales, uh, performance of the application, which goes to satisfaction and use. Um, and those are all things that different people inside the company can directly relate to. But all of those things kind of roll up into the number one thing, which is, you know, are you are you growing your revenue line? And uh, and to do that, I always tell people when you when you create your KPIs, uh, your key performance indicators of the company, you know, I think about the Christmas tree and the star at the top. And, and you have to have these three to five KPIs that, that everyone says, yeah, yeah, I get that. And, and what's our what's our target? Not just what we're tracking, but what are we trying to achieve this quarter, next quarter, uh, end of the year? But then you've got it. You've got this tree effect where then you've got department KPIs where the product team, you know, the sales team, the marketing team, what do they need? What's their KPIs? And those have to directly attribute to the company KPIs. And that way, everybody knows where what they have to do and they know what other people have to do to make us successful. And it doesn't happen. And as I tell people all the time, it, it is truly an engine. It's it's an engine. It's a clock. Uh, it's these gears. And sometimes you may be the small gear, but if you aren't spinning fast, uh, we're not. The big gears aren't working right. <laughs> and in other times, you're the big gear, and someone else is the small gear. But every piece, no matter the size of the gear, is critically important to that clock operating correctly. And don't think just because, you know, sales has this big thing that they've got to go achieve without product, without product support, without effective onboarding, uh, without effective marketing and communicate. None of those things happen. Let's talk about communication. Um, so in a startup, uh, it's very dynamic and, you know, uh, bad happens, you know, as often as good, if not more. You're trying to raise capital. Sometimes that works out. Sometimes you have to keep raising capital because it doesn't work out. How in the loop is you know the junior development developer on some of these bigger corporate objectives? Uh, what's your communication st- uh, strategy, and how early do you share you know company wide bad news? Yeah. Um... You know, it, it's interesting you ask this question because I haven't done this yet at my task, but I've done it at different companies and it worked pretty well. And now it's kind of reminding me I need to do it here. We used to we used to celebrate and actually pass out an award uh, for the dumbest mistake for the month. And you had to be nominated for it. Uh, and then w- the, what you had to do is you had to explain what you did and why you did it, uh, why you thought it was a good idea and why it didn't work out. And then most importantly, what did you learn from it? And you actually got a financial reward for uh, for being nominated and winning uh, the dumbest mistake of the month. I can't remember what the award was called, but it wasn't the dumbest mistake, but it was something, you know, something uh, funny related to it. And it really became a game uh, uh, for people to be able to uh, not that you want to make all those mistakes, but uh, when you come across it, you know, that that you win. But we. What I have done here, and I've done at every other company, is I've done these things where it's called appreciation awards. And uh, this is, gets back to communication. Uh, anyone, anyone in the company can give anyone else in the company an appreciation award, and they don't need any management approval. They don't need anything. All they need to do is send an email to the entire company. And in that email, it needs to state who's getting the award, what is their role in the company, 
so that it helps with a little bit of communication about the about the person. But then you have to describe how they went above and beyond, but then you have to relate what they did directly to how it helps us achieve one of our company goals. Uh, but they, it's a $50 award. It's not a lot, but it means a lot uh, because they get publicly recognized. But you're also communicating good things that are happening inside the company. And uh, as I said, any, any person can send another person an appreciation award at any time. And they have to end the, the award with a fun fact about the person that, they, that maybe the general population doesn't know. Uh, I've seen some really strange ones, uh, you know, people that uh, have that collect certain shoes or <laughs> people that are superhero collectors or other things that I had no clue of or other people that actually on weekends, they're professional musicians and bands. And I didn't know that either. <laughs> so you get to know your coworkers a little better. And yeah, on the subject of bad news. So let's say that a fundraising fails and, uh, you know, you couldn't close a deal and every single employee in your company has options. How, how do you... How, how does disappointing overall corporate news uh, get communicated? Well, in person, uh, it's really important that it be done face to face. And I know that's not always the case when you can when you have a remote team that you can pull people together. But we do get together every six weeks. But if you can't uh, pull everyone together uh, timely, because uh, the bad news needs to be told quickly before it leaks out. Uh, and then people have their own opinions and wonder what's going on, but you have to build that level of trust. I strongly suggest that you do it through video chat, whether it's GoToMeeting or Skype or some other tool where they can see your face and they can they can see your eyes. Uh, and it goes back to the discussion we had earlier about hiring practices. Um, really important that when you hire your team, and this, this isn't just about the early team, this is about throughout the business, they know what they're stepping into. They know it's risky. Um, they're not coming here for a 401k uh, and a retirement package. They're coming here to be part of something that is either going to make it and make it really big or it's going to bust. And in those kind of hiring practices, it makes that communication of bad news even better because usually what people will do when you deliver bad news to them, and I've certainly had to do it multiple times, they look right at you and they say, okay, I got it. What's the plan? What are we going to do next? What are we doing about it? And you know you're like okay well here's here's what we're gonna do here's here's our you know here's our plan here's our plan B or here's our plan C, and you know you keep fighting until there's no more breath, and as long as they know that you'll keep fighting until there's no more breath they'll fight till there's no more breath. And I've been fortunate not to have to shut any company down we've ever ever built, uh, but certainly people know what they step into and they just want honest discussion. Well, transparency is always important, but particularly if you think of it, you know, your employees are really your investors too. <laughs> I mean, if they all have options, you you know, you would be transparent with your your investors about you know unfortunate events, and you know, better for the team to know so they can deal with it than not know and then you know fear it or resent it. So yeah, um, absolutely. Last thing on HR, and then I want to wrap it up with a quick assessment of where uh, my task it is. How about breaking bread? Uh, I'm a big believer in it uh, as to the just the social nature of it. Do y'all, these six-week get-togethers, do you make a point of, you know, everybody gets together and just not talk shop and just, you know, have a good time or and just socialize and get to know each other better as people? You know, what do you do to, if not actually break bread, do something similar so that there is a chance to engage and get to know each other as humans? Oh, yeah. 
we uh you know on those every six week meetings we actually the, the it's a two-day meeting and so the night between the two-day meeting we always go out and do something fun uh, the team is taken to bowling which is interesting and they're 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 very competitive <laughs> well everybody's bad and so therefore it has to be fun and if you're good you're really people wonder about you <laughs> right exactly and we just happen to have a a bowling lane a few blocks from the office that's one of those uh you know they have food and beer and all kinds of wonderful things there that then they have private lanes and so we do that some uh you know the team even this afternoon the team is going out together to go watch uh the new star wars uh movie oh fun uh the last jedi and uh you know they get together on their own but we also get them together uh and we we celebrate things we you know stop in the middle of the happy hour whatever we announce a few things that have really uh happened well we give out some awards uh, to people that have done amazing things uh, through the process. And it's just really, it's an uplifting time for everybody. How do you balance that with your family? It sounds like you're a father, uh, you know, uh, it sound, and it also, my knowledge of startups is, is it quickly becomes your life. How do you blend the two, balance the two, et cetera? Yeah, you know, in my early days, I always kept business and personal separate, always. It was kind of my rule, right? And uh, I, that way I always had, when I took off my hat and I walked in the, in the house, I, I was dad, I was home. And it was just, you'd never mix the two. And I learned really quickly in startups that that is a disaster, um, that they need to know you on a personal level, on a business level. And what I've done is now kind of integrated, you know, and as others have now, you know, the, the personal side as well as the business side. And so a lot of my meetings, uh, no matter what level company we have, we have at my house, uh, around my patio, um, uh, people have named it. I've got a boat. Sometimes we take the boat out and meet on there. And so they call that conference room B if they're around, <laughs> if they're around my pool, they call it conference room P. Uh, so we, you know, we do, uh, integrate the personal and the business and uh, you know it's there's never enough time to do it my kids are they know it they see a bunch of people sitting on the patio they know we're having a business meeting I've got a 16 year old daughter and a 14 year old daughter and, and my wife God love her I couldn't do any of this uh, without her uh, support and she is just a trooper we save on hotel costs and people stay at my house when they come into town. Uh, <laughs> Boy, she you know, is a so trooper. <laughs> she is. She really Meetings is. at your house and employees sleeping yeah. in your house. <laughs> oh, that's exactly. hilarious. So, <laughs> so let's, I want to close it up on three questions about my task. It, and that is, uh, I'm curious to get your sense of traction. Curious uh, kind of what's next. Are you raising capital and are you hiring? So on the traction front, kind of where is my task at? Uh, right now yeah we've uh you know we've grown in the marine industry we've grown to over a thousand uh service pros now using the product um and that was that's a great testament we launched the product in the middle of 2015 and of course it takes time to start getting up some of that traction and marine is a very small market uh, comparatively so we're we're very pleased with with that level of traction in the marine industry. We've also have you know on the consumer side, there's over eighty thousand uh, boat owners uh, have profiles uh, inside of our application to help manage their vessel, their boat, as people can manage houses and other things uh, as well. But they that was really key, uh, and some of that is uh, it's the, actually the service providers themselves. Um, 
pre-registering their own customers uh, in our system, preparing for the day in which they will be interacting and doing business with their most loyal customers uh, through the platform. So those are the two major measurements that we look at are, you know, how many service pros do we have over a thousand and how many, how many uh, consumers do we have? And we have over 80,000 right now. And then uh, are you raising money or have you got enough raised for a while? Yeah, we've got enough raised for right now. Uh, we will be raising around next year. Um, so we'll probably start that process in the, in the early second quarter, expecting to close by the end of next year. Uh, around, I don't know yet what that round's going to be. Uh, if I had to guesstimate, I, I would suspect it's going to be somewhere between the ten and twenty million dollar uh, level. Uh, and but the real key thing of that is kind of the, the third part of that question, which is kind of what's next. To really make that round uh, most productive for us, we've got to uh, expand beyond marine. And so we've launched pilots uh, in property management, uh, in construction. We actually, one of uh, the executives of, of Home Depot has now come on board as an official advisor to us because he's excited about what the possibilities are for the product in the construction uh, industry and in industrial equipment uh, maintenance. And we're seeing more and more uh, need to integrate into the internet of things uh, for products that are monitoring the status of equipment whether it's equipment on boats or in houses uh, or in, in manufacturing plants, even farming equipment uh, that's being monitored remotely. And, and when an alert or something happens, it generates a task that needs to be dealt with. And those are our new features that we know we need to, to put in uh, for these new markets. And uh, I think I know the answer to this question because you're growing, but I'll ask anyway, are you hiring and where? You know, we are only a few positions right now here in West Palm, uh, but we're, we're hiring in the inside sales uh, area and we're doing a couple things on the product uh, area. But we just did a round of hiring over the last uh, 60 days. So we're, we're probably going to be set uh, as we start the first quarter, but I imagine that we'll start hiring some additional resources in the early second quarter. Kevin, I knew you'd be a great guest, and you are. And uh, as a testament to that, uh, I'll embarrass you a little bit. It's my understanding uh, that you were named by uh, from CEO Today magazine one of their game changers this year, and that announcement just came out this past week. Is that true? It is true. Uh, I was I was pleasantly surprised to see that, and you know, it's it's certainly not me. I'm just simply the talking head and and the idea guy. It's my team is the one that enables me to pull some of those things off. So yeah, it was, it was quite an honor. And I, I appreciated the guys from CEO today, uh, recognizing the hard work the teams put together. Well, I saw I saw that myself and thought it was worth mentioning. I think you're being uh, uh, typically humble. Uh, I'm sure you have a great team. But a lot of that's due to just your knowledge, experience, leadership and uh, kindness. So and I'm and I think my task, it reflects that how do people find my task? It is the URL what I think it might be. It is just www.mytasket.com. Uh, you have been an excellent guest. Congratulations on your award and happy holidays, my friend. I look forward to seeing you soon. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for the time. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.